This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. We'll be in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 34. So you can turn there and hold your finger there um, for a bit. Hey, man, can you turn me down on the monitors, Santo, please? Can you turn me down on the monitors? But, um, yeah, so we'll be in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 34. So I love the setup that we have going on here that's transitioning out of the seven-week stint in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges ripped me up and really showed me a lot of, of myself. And... And we are prepping for Easter Sunday. So I think this is a phenomenal scripture or phenomenal um, series to go through to set us up for Easter Sunday, transitioning out of what we've seen going down in the book of Judges, transitioning out of Judges with a series called The Resurrected Life, leading us to celebrating the resurrection of our King Jesus on Easter Sunday. So that's real good. Like, when we was going through the book of Judges, what we had an opportunity to see was a glimpse into a particular point in the story of God concerning his people. This is what we've seen as we trek through the book of Judges. It was a glimpse of the story of God concerning his people, and there was this consistent theme that we heard over and over. It was, there was no king in Israel. So the people did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king. There was no one to tell them what is the right thing to do. There was no one to direct them on the right path. There was no one to lead them. And this is the story that we've seen in the book of Judges. There was no one to guide them and lead them into what was the right thing to do. But the reality of the situation is that that's not necessarily true. The reality was that they actually was a king, but his leadership was being ignored. So it was as if they, there wasn't. There actually was a king, but he wasn't being adhered to. There actually was a king, but he wasn't submitting to him. So it was as if they didn't have a king. But their king was none other than God himself the creator of the universe, the one that made the planets and the stars, the one that created our brain that would create rockets to fly to outer space, the God that created galaxies and universes, he was actually their king. Out of all the people on the planet, he chose them as his own and was their king, but they didn't submit to him and allow him to rule on the thrones of their hearts. So Functionally, he wasn't their king, but actually he was their king. So it was as if there wasn't a king. And we trekked through judging, and what we saw was the, the decline and the downfall of the people of God as a side effect of not submitting to their king. We're trekking through the story, and the, and the story seemed to be getting worse and worseover and worseover. And it's like, what is going on with these people? And, and, and it gets to this point in time where it's like 
they're worse than the nations that was around them. It wasn't like they, they didn't get to a point where they were just like them. They got to the point where they were setting the stage for evil. They got to the point where they were saying, let me model evil for you the way it should look. They was worse than the nations around them. And you're waiting for this time where God would just turn everything around and the people would just adhere to him and start listening to him. And you're waiting for that. And then we get to the point where we close out the book of Judges and that never happens. The people wall out on this crazy, crazy binge and it's like, what's going on? We never get to the happy ending in the book of Judges. We leave the book of Judges In a dismal state, in a distressed state, the people of God was jacked up. But I'm thankful today that (laughs) they are, right? I'm thankful today that, that Judges wasn't the end of the story, though. That the story of God didn't end in Judges. I'm thankful today that that's not where our story ended. That that's not where God's story concerning us stopped at. You see, you have to read the entire Bible to get a real glimpse on the full story. Because eventually, that king that was being neglected, that king that was being ignored, eventually that king that they wasn't adhering to, the creator of the universe, will create for himself a body to live in and to live on the earth that he created with the people that he created and fellowship with them in order to teach them how to follow him. He didn't just leave things the way they were. He didn't just say, man, you guys are jacked up. Eventually, he would say, I'm going to create a body for myself and live with you for 33 years and spend the last three years doing ministry with you, showing you how to follow me, showing you how to serve me. Eventually, this is what it came to. But it wasn't just that. He also came to rescue them from their pending, permanent, eternal separation from him. A side effect of the creation continually rejecting the creator. He sees this and he comes to teach them how to serve him, teach them how to follow him, teach them how to submit to him, and also to save them and rescue them from permanently being separated from him. He would enter on this this rescue mission. He starts out on mission to rescue his people, his creation. He would enter on this this rescue mission that would culminate with his death, then his burial, and then his resurrection. Where God the Father would resurrect God the the Son through the power of God the Holy Spirit. So he dies on a cross for his people. The king came to fellowship with his people, to teach his people, to rescue his people, died on the cross for his people. Then he's resurrected, but he resurrected for his people. Then after his resurrection, he doesn't just leave, he fellowships with his people again, showing them the true power of the resurrection. This is what it really looks like. His resurrected life, he was doing things that he didn't do before the resurrection, showing them the true power of the resurrection.
then he would leave. He would leave to go to be by the father's side. Well, he would leave, but then what he would do is send his very spirit, which was the power of the resurrection, to dwell and live inside of his people so that they too can live the resurrected life. He didn't just leave and leave them lonely. Instead, he leaves, but then sends himself back to live inside of them via his spirit so that they would be empowered to live this victorious, resurrected life so that they would be able to serve him, so that they would be able to follow him so that they would have the power to live for him. He doesn't just leave them by themselves. He said, I'm, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come and live inside of you via my spirit so that you not only can have the opportunity to, to follow me, but you now have the power to follow me. He sends his people, his spirit to live inside of his people. And his people are all those that would accept him as God throughout the face of the planet, throughout time, everyone that would say, I will accept you as my king, he becomes their king and then gives his spirit to them so that they will be able to follow him, serve him, love him, and reflect him. So that's what this entire mini-series is about. The resurrected life. A series leading us into a celebration of the resurrection of our King, Christ Jesus, on Easter Sunday. The resurrected life. That's what this whole thing is is about. What does it look like for a people to live submitted to a king? Not just a king, the king. So my task today is to talk of some of the ways to resurrect the life of the believer And when I say believer, this is what I mean. The person submitted to the leadership of King Christ, walking in the powers of his his resurrection, as opposed to the person living without a king, or better yet, worse yet, with themselves as king. How is the resurrected life, how the resurrected life affects the community? How is the resurrected life of a community of believers, how does it impact the community in which God has called them to live it out? That's what this message would be today. How does the resurrected life of a community of believers impact the community that God has called them to live it out in? That's what we're going to dive in today. So if you found Acts chapter 17, verses 23 to 34, or 22 to 34, you can stand now. We're going to read that. So we stand for the reading of God's word to acknowledge that this is God's word. This is man's word. This is the the word of God that God will predestine that you will be standing here reading and and diving into to to nurture you. So we stand in, in reverence of the God who created the scriptures, the reverence of his word. So I'll read. So Paul, standing in the midst of the of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens. I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, 
does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among them was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others was with them. Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you for your plan and what you're doing inside of our hearts, Lord. I pray that you will prep our hearts to receive your word from your spirit, Lord. I ask that you will plow the grounds of our hearts, Lord, that you will plant your word deep into our hearts, Lord, that you will cause it to sprout and bear fruit, Lord. I pray that you will have your way with this service today, Lord, and that you will speak to your people in a way that glorifies you and expresses you throughout all of creation. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How does the resurrected life impact the community that the resurrected life is being lived out in? Well, wherever there's a community of believers living out the resurrected life, then that community or city or area where the resurrected life is being lived out becomes a mission field to those living the resurrected life. They see themselves as sent on a mission by God intentionally inside that area. It is God's will and it is God's plan that I would be right here, right now. And they see themselves as missionaries, sent, and that's how they live. Taking this in part from the end of verse 26. Now, you read the, the latter part of verse 26, and it's talking about God, in reference to the sovereign, to his sovereign will concerning the existence of every human being on the planet. That's the context for verse 26. And it reads like this. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So verse 26 is basically saying this. 
God has determined the exact periods of time that we would exist within the course of time. So from the point that he created the earth and started the earth spinning and started time to the point that he returns and stops time, everywhere in between that, every single person that exists for whether you were born in 1904 or 76 or 2016, whatever it is, whatever point in time that you would exist is God's intent and purpose you would exist right there at that point in time. And he also determined the exact place that we would live, the exact place that we would exist and fellowship at. So we're saying that, that God has determined exactly when and where we would exist on this planet, which means he's either ordered or allowed whatever series of events that would happen inside of our lives that would lead us to being right here, right now. Whatever it is that's happened. Either he's ordered something to happen or he said, I'm going to allow that to happen. But he's driving his will and everything that will happen so that you will come to this exact moment in time at this exact place. And he doesn't do this blindly. He's not like, ah. Everything is done intentionally. He understood the the tensions of the times and the places we would live in. He understood the idols of the times and places that we would live in and sovereignly chose that we, his people, would have his spirit, the power of the resurrection, living inside of us amidst the tensions and idols of the times and places that we would live. Everything is intentional. Every single thing knowing exactly what will be going on, exactly what type of stuff will be on the news, what type of feeds will be in Facebook, what type of stuff will we have, every single thing, and yet choosing you to exist right here, right now, in the midst of all of that with his spirit inside of him. He's not rolling dice by chance. He's planning every single move and every single step intentionally. So when I talk about the places that we live, I want to make this really, really hit home to us. I want us to really grab what this encompasses. So let me start with this. For us, for starters, 1830, West Glen Rosa Road, Phoenix, Arizona, Redemption Alhambra Church, where we fellowship at corporately, then the surrounding area becomes our mission field. Every single thing. 19th Avenue and Camelback becomes our mission field. The homes where we fellowship at for RC and come together as a community midweek, and the whole surrounding area becomes our mission field where we're praying, God, show me how can I serve the community here. It's God's intention that we will be fellowshipping here. The blocks that we live on becomes our mission field. The apartment complexes that we live in become our mission field. The places that we go to school at become our mission field. Where our kids go to school at, where we go to work at, the bus or train routes that we frequent all the time, the grocery stores that we go to, that one cash register lady that you always see. 
These are the boundaries of where we live at and the time that we live in. And there was a missional act of God to plant us right here with his spirit inside of us that we will partner with him on his mission in the allotted periods and boundaries of our dwelling places. It's the work that God is doing. How does this look? How does this look being walked out? How does this look diving in? I think about a context of how should the community be affected by a community of believers living the, the resurrected life out. And there's so much that it's too much to even compact into to, to one sermon. But I think there are some, some elements that are really important to us in our context that I want to pull out of this text right here. So I want to look at verse 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown this I proclaim to you. Here he points out that in every way that they were very religious, and how he has seen their various objects of worship. See, he didn't just come in and just, like, he didn't just see a bunch of heathens trying to wild out. He didn't just see that. Instead, what he saw was a bunch of people with a deep desire to worship. They would say that in every way, they was very religious in every way they was trying to worship, but the problem was this. They didn't know who to worship. He didn't just see a bunch of people that were trying to wild out. He saw a bunch of people with a heart to worship that was worshiping everything they could find to worship. Here he is trying to point them to who to worship. He saw a bunch of people with a desire to worship, but they didn't know who to worship, so they worshiped many, many things. That's why he points out the other objects of worship that he saw. And then he sees a place left for the unknown God, and he sees his end. He saw his mission, and his mission was to proclaim the gospel so that they would know who to worship, so that they would know who this unknown God was. He's seen a people with a heart to worship, but he wanted to point their worship in the right direction so that it could be true worship. Verses 22 and 23 really is an example of the human heart. It's a picture of the human heart. A heart created to worship with many idols or objects of worship inside of it because they don't know who to worship. But God has reserved a place for himself inside that heart, a place marked to the unknown God, waiting for those living on mission, walking out the resurrected life to proclaim to the owner of that heart who that unknown God is. Even though some people don't realize they're searching for him. Or they may not realize or think that they've already found him. But again, God calls us to point them out, to point out 
the void that they didn't realize was even there. Thus again, the times and places that we live in are a strategic missional move of God in order to affect the communities or cities or areas that the resurrected life would be lived out in. And when Paul goes in, he doesn't go in disconnected from the people, dropping Old Testament scriptures, but instead he engages culture from the perspective of the gospel. Where he was at was the marketplace. That's where they, they seen him at, where they put him into the, the, era, to, into the arena. He was in the marketplace. Now, the marketplace, we think about marketplace, we typically think of, okay, the store, they were selling fruits and vegetables. But the marketplace was an extremely cultural spot because they didn't have the internet. They wasn't watching the news on the TV. The marketplace where everyone came together at is where the latest news was being talked about there at the marketplace. The latest philosophies was being talked about at the marketplace because they didn't have TBN. And they, they, this is where they was at. <laughs> the marketplace is where they got all the information from and they was able to buy some food and some clothes there. So Paul was at the marketplace. This is where all the news is going to be at. This is where I'm going to be at. And that's where they see him at. And that's where they ask him to come over here and expound a little bit more on this thing that you was teaching. But he doesn't just go in disconnected from the people. Everything he says here in this whole text is either is, is, is confronting either a cultural issue or a philosophical view concerning a cultural issue. That's what this whole topic is going on here. So if we are really going to be about that resurrected life, then the gospel that we carry has to speak to more than just personal salvation, but also cultural issues that we expect to have more than just a superficial impact on the communities God has called us to be. It has to talk to more than just salvation. Not less that, but more. I have to speak to the issues of life. I have to speak to the issues and the tensions and the idols that people are living in. This is what the gospel has to speak to. And we expect to have more than just a superficial impact on the communities God has called us to. Now, there's a couple of cultural issues that's discussed here that... that that speak to some of the tensions and idols of our time that we live in that I want to spend a little bit looking at because it, it equips us and preps us for how we engage on mission in the culture and time that we live in. Some of the titles that, that we can speak to through this text is racism and sexism. So, Back to verse 26. Now, the first part of verse 26 I want to look at. And again, this is in regards to God's sovereign will concerning the existence of every human being on the planet. God's sovereign will. What he's doing. What is he working? It says, the beginning part, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now, this text can be applied to both male and female and every ethnic group that would ever exist. It says God created all nations from, from one man. 
the start of all nations started from one man. From that one man, he will create every single other nation. You look in the book of Genesis, God started off in the book of Genesis creating with one man. From that one man, he starts creating every single thing else. Adam. So you look at Adam, you see Adam, within Adam is the DNA of both genders and all ethnic groups inside of him. He creates Eve from from Adam's rib, not from the earth. He doesn't go to the earth and create something brand new. He takes from something that he's already placed there. He creates Eve, so he creates Eve from Adam's rib. So you see there, the DNA is already inside of him. He creates from that. And he creates Adam with the intention of populating the planet by giving him the DNA of all human beings that would ever exist on the planet. So what Adam, what an orange seed is to an orange tree is what Adam was to the human race. A seed bearing the DNA of what it would one day blossom to be. God's creating humankind, and he says, I'm going to create man, and, and in man, in his creation of Adam, will be the seed of all humanity. The reason why this point is important to this discussion is this. God created Adam in his image and likeness. So if God created Adam in his image and likeness, and all humankind that means all human, if all humankind now comes from Adam, that means all humankind was created in his image and likeness. Again, why is this information so important to the impact that living out the resurrected life is in the community that God has called us to be in? One reason is because we will be engaging people who don't know their true identity. Us understanding our true identity, us understanding the true purpose of creation and how God created the created order, us understanding that we're creating the image and likeness of God has everything to do with how we minister to, how we go on mission inside the community that God has called us to to live in, to exist in, that he predestined that we would be there at that point in time, understanding the tensions of that time, the idols of that time. How we would go and we would minister to somebody and let them know, man, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're looking at somebody created in the image and likeness of God. Created exactly the way God felt his image would best be displayed through you. When you're looking at a person that that doesn't look and sound or act like you, that may be different, that may be a different race, that may be a different gender, you're looking at someone that God thought would best reflect his image created that way. And you're encouraging them because you're saying, listen, if you're looking at the image in the mirror and you're hating that image in the mirror, literally you're hating on the image of God. If you're hating on the image of that person that doesn't look like you, literally you're hating on the image of God. We're we're explaining these things to them because, again, this speaks directly to the context that we live in when we see a society that's, that's, that's either idolizing ethnics or hating on ethnics. 
They were, we're drawing them back to this reality. We're pointing that hey, you was created in the image of God, and he was created in the image of God, and she was created in the image of God. And then with them drawing them back to this reality, God felt his image was best displayed through global diversity. So, so racism and sexism anywhere in the world at its core is an attack on the very image and likeness of God himself. This is how we engage. No one is understanding that this is the truth. And then we want to draw people to unity, but true unity had to have something bigger than just for the sake of unity to hold it together. So we're saying true unity is found in the fact that we need each other to more accurately reflect God in creation. That's why we need unity. We was created to reflect his image and likeness throughout the universe. But God saw fit that that image and likeness will be reflected through many different people. So you never see the image and likeness of God fully in looking at one person, but you see it in looking at groups of people. The diversity of it, male, female, different races. God says, this is the best way for people to see who I am. And he creates it that people will never see a, a full picture of who he is by just looking at one person. So one of the impacts of the resurrected life and the community that is walked out in is that people start to see their identity in Christ. They start to see who the God of creation is when you have people that are walking out the resurrected life in that community. Now, according to John 17, it says that we are, we are sent into the world, but we're not of the world. Which means this. It means we, we, we're sent into the community, but we're not of the community. We're sent into the culture, but we're not of the culture. Which means we are not byproducts of the community. We are not byproducts of the culture. Instead, we are byproducts of the gospel sent into the community, sent into the culture on mission to be a light to the nations. Now, at some point in time, we may have been byproducts of the culture. We may have been so influenced by the community that it's like you are of the community. When we say of the community or of the world, that means you are a byproduct of it. At some time, that may have been the case, but then when the gospel hits you and recreates your DNA, you are now dead to the world, been alive to Christ, and you are now a byproduct of the gospel in and of itself sent back into that very community, back into that very culture. But now, not just to be inside of it, but to be a lamppost, a light in that community, a light to the nations. I remember my kids used to go to this charter school. Now, there was tons of reasons why I didn't like that charter school. But one of the reasons that bothered me is, like, when we went to, like, a basketball game or a volleyball game, anything that went into the night. Now, the charter school, you couldn't see from the street. You'll miss it if you just drive down. It's like there's this empty field to this side, and then there's this warehouse building on that side, and you have to turn down this, like, this, this sort of scary children of the corn street, right? And you got to keep driving down that street till you get to the school. Now, this place was scary at nighttime because there was no lampposts. 
So at nighttime, whenever you drive down the street, it's like literally the only thing you see is where the headlights of your car hit. Everything else is pitch black. So you never know what's about to jump out. And I'm, and I'm thinking, man, what if one of those kids sort of strayed away from the school? They would get hit by a car. And you're looking at it and you're thinking how dangerous the dark is. And I'm saying, I wish there was light posters. I'm talking to the school, and they're like, yeah, you got to talk to the city so that we can get some light posters. The impact of light posters is illumination. You get to see what's in the dark. You get to see what's already there, but you hadn't noticed. That's the impact of light posters. That's what we do to the community. If God has called us to be a light to the nations, then if God has called us to be a light to the nation that exists within the times and places that we exist, then the resurrected life of the gospel being lived out should produce an illumination of who God is in context to the personal life of others around us and the cultural tensions and idols of the times and places we live in. That's the impact of those living the resurrected life and being lampposts. We produce light, illumination of who God is. Another thing that's a side effect of living this life out. Nations around us, people around us, people affected by us living life out on mission. They should see hope. They should see real hope. Real, tangible hope. Now, I want to go to Luke. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read it, though, if you don't want to. But Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43. So the context here, with this verse right here, Jesus had died. He had been buried for three days. Then he had came back alive. And now this is right after the the famous road to Emmaus where Jesus is walking with those couple of disciples, but they didn't realize who he was until after they, they stopped and they ate some food together. Now, after those two um, people, those two disciples realized who he was, they went back to the other disciples to tell the disciples, yo, we just saw Jesus. You won't believe it, but we just saw him. This right here has to do with what happened when they went back to talk to those disciples and tell them about Jesus? In verse 36 it says, and they were talking with, they was talking about these things. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood amongst them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why, do, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, they, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in front of them. At this time of moment, Jesus understands what's going on in the hearts of the disciples. He understands that, that they are confused, that they are distraught, that they were broken, that for them, they felt like hope was shattered. 
everything that they thought has been challenged at this time of moment. It was broken. And he realized that the disciples at this moment needed real hope to connect to, real hope that they can touch, real hope that they can see, real hope that they can feel. Not just pie in the sky. They needed something real. So he's like, here, look, touch me. He turns around and he eats in front of them so that they can see real, tangible hope. Christ knew the brokenness of their hearts and he knew that they needed something tangible to, to connect to. And he's been telling them about the resurrection. And here he is, the first fruits of the resurrection. Also, the first fruits of restoration. Here he is, giving them a glimpse of it. Here is a foretaste of it. God has called us to a people that are broken, a people that that have been abused, a people that, that feel hopelessness, that need a real, tangible reflection of hope, a foretaste of the kingdom to come, a foretaste of the coming restoration, and he wants to use us for that. They give more than just pie in the sky, but real expressions of this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Real reflections of hope through interaction with people more than just preaching to them, but definitely preaching to them. Real things that they can touch and hold on to and say, this this is real love. This is real hope that I can connect to. And it's the, the reasons and the purposes why he would plan this, where he would plan us that, to do just that. In the communities that, that we fellowship in, the communities that we have our season, where we live at, people around there needing real expressions of hope, and then God puts you there. The bag to come now. This is God's intention on how he would strategically place every single one of us where he's at. And he's looking at this from the beginning of time. Like, this is how this will look being walked out. This is how people will have real, tangible expressions of who I am. How people get to see my image. How people get to feel hope through my people that are submitted to me. Where I get to lead them as king. And through them, they feel hope. Through them, they see glimpses of the restoration. What we give them, this is how you wrestle with the the challenges of the the turmoil of the cultures that we live in and the idols of the cultures that we live in. Where people can do crazy and horrific things and it may discombobulate us and cause us to feel confused, but here's what the gospel says about that. Not really you was created in the image or likeness of God and I hate on anyone would be to hate on the image and likeness of the God that created all of existence. The best of life is a life that is obedient to the spirit of God. That's what causes the resurrected life. The spirit of God living inside of us. The resurrected life is a life that is obedient to the spirit of God. The resurrected life is, is one that trusts in the power of the spirit of God, not just my own power. When I share the gospel to you, it's not because I said it so eloquently. It's not because I said it in this way or that way. I'm trusting in the power of the Spirit of God to open the eyes of the people he's called us to. The resurrected life is a life that's free from the bondage of sin and death, where we're saying, look, you can be free from that. Look, you can live in freedom. 
Let me show you by living life in relationship with you. Let me show you this. You don't have to be bound. The resurrect the life impacts the community like that, and it shows people there is true freedom, true hope. impact of the resurrected life in the communities around us is that they see God through his people walking in his spirit. And then they see themselves as people in desperate need of his spirit. In desperate need of a king. In desperate need of Christ. Let's pray. When I pray, I want to pray in three ways. First, I want to pray for us, where we at right here. I want to pray for the community around us, Father. I pray that you will use us deeply in the community that you planted this church, Lord. I pray that you will allow us to be a light to the nations, allow us to be a light to the people that are around us, Lord. I pray that you will inspire us with vision, inspire us with creativity, creative ways to serve the community, creative ways to show the community that there is true hope, that people living around here, people that are in the Aharmba district will, will know that this is a place that I get to see God at. That they will get to see who you are in relation to their lives, Lord. I pray that you will use us, Lord. That as we drive back and forth, Lord, that you will break our heart for the brokenness of the city that you planted us in, Lord. That we, we will see the brokenness of the city, that we will weep for it, that we will pray to God, give, give us inspiration, how to serve it, how to be there for it, Lord. How to live life out, displaying the power of your resurrection amongst the community. Father, I pray for our, our community groups, our RC that are meeting midweek, Lord. That you will show them how to, how to as they're sitting down and they're planting seed products and they're thinking about how to serve the community that you planted that RC at. That you will give them creativity. That you will give them vision, Lord. That you will allow them to see the brokenness around that they can at least pray for it, Lord. That you will use them in a way that's tangible and real to show people that there is hope. I pray for the blocks and the apartments that we live in, Lord, that you will use us as a light, Lord, that people will see and they will come and they will ask, what, is, what does it take to get this thing that you have? That we will care about people, not just drive by just thinking about what, what we have to do and what we need to cook for dinner, but we will care about the people that you place us around because you've given us our spirit, your spirit, to serve them. I pray that you will move by your spirit and that you will inspire us, Lord, so that we can glorify you amongst the nations that you placed us in, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.